Mom, we want to uh, let you know that we do love you. I don't have a traditional Mother's Day message, um, but it's not about that. This is about what God wants to speak to us about and the messages for all of us. But we do want you to know we love you. Not every mom was a good mom. That includes some maybe in this room. Those of you that grew up with someone, maybe you didn't even have a mom that you knew. So Mother's Day is not a, a joyous celebration for everyone. And uh, God's word even speaks about that. He talks about the fact that some moms will even forget the children that they birthed. But he says, I will not forget you. This amazing God loves us. And he wants you to know no matter what human beings have done or not done, no matter how they've treated you or not treated you, God loves you. And don't take offense to him by what some fallen person in their sin has done to you. And then I bring up another topic that is uh, difficult for some people to address, but I'm going to say that abortion is a part of our culture that has taken many lives. And many of the, the, the lies that we have been taught about this act have impacted ladies incredibly after the fact. And it's something that the culture of our society has been silent about. And I want you to know that if you have had an abortion or you maybe as a male have promoted that happening, that God is a loving and forgiving and restoring God. Do not carry that guilt and shame with you. You bring it to Christ, you give it to him. And he is a God who heals and loves. And he does love you. Yes, it's God's truth. Please know that. Don't let the devil beat you up with that guilt any longer. You need to release that to him and ask him to heal you and to take you from this day forward. He has those children. That's one of the things that I love about it. Not the act itself, but I know that we're going to come to heaven and there's going to be a multitude that we will see there. We love you. We want everyone in this room to know you are loved. God loves you. And he has a powerful message for us today. Good morning, Bear. Glad you're here, brother. I've been missing you. I have a little problem with attention stuff. So anyway, I love you, buddy. I love everyone that's in this room, and I'm so honored to be your pastor. As we have said goodbye to a few people and members of our church, um, you know, in the last uh, couple months, and it's an ongoing thing that's going to happen. I shared yesterday in the service and um, that a few days ago, Kim and I were having a conversation, and I said, you know, it's amazing that I sat right over here in my seat, <clears throat> and Mark was in front of me. Everybody in the church knows my brother has um, going through this thing with his medical. And by the way, with this Wednesday, we go to Mayo Clinic to get the results of the final test to find out if he's in remission or not. But um, I was sitting back there and, you know, people come and check on him and see how he's doing and see what's going on. And, and you know, Paul was one of them, Paul Jackson, <clears throat> come over and say, hey, Mark, how you doing and praying for you and things. And he would ask me on the side. And so when we see someone that has a disease and we know it, they go through chemo, the mask, they lose their hair, they, we know they're sick, you know, all of us look and we think, hey, their days are numbered, we hope that they're okay, but it's a realization of life. So as I was talking to Kim, I was like, you know, it's crazy because Paul came over to check on Mark and Paul's with Jesus today. No clue. You know, you know what I'm saying? I mean, there was no clue. He totally didn't expect what was happening. None of us expected what was happening. We knew he was going in for heart surgery. No, that's a serious thing, but it's like tonsils these days. You know, they just do it. Send you out like an assembly line. You expect everybody to come out the other side. And so the reality is, is that someone in our midst is not going to be here. Who? I don't know. Maybe me. And then when we were worshiping the Lord today, and I was 
processing all those things and praying, I was like, you know, God, I trust you with my wife. She's your girl. I trust you with my kids and your church. Doesn't matter if I leave here. I trust you. You got this. It's like those reality moments of the frailty of life, the precious gift that it is, and what it means to serve God and who God is in our life and how incredibly important it is. You have this amazing opportunity to live today. You who? You've got a gift. Everyone in this, we have a gift. It's called life, and we have it right now. And we need to make sure we do something with it that is significant and lasting because everything is going to stop behind you. Look, I, I know people that work 60 and 80 hours at work. Let me tell you something. When you die, that place isn't closing. <laughs> it's going to keep going. They're just going to find someone else to plug your hole. Maybe three people. Whatever it takes, doesn't matter. They don't stop because you're gone. Life is going to end up being like we did yesterday. It's going to end up being like a 10-minute slideshow and a 45-minute service and then on with life. So the only thing that matters is what you do with your faith in Jesus Christ because that's the only thing you're taking with you or your absence of that faith, which will mean a really bad thing. Everybody that dies isn't in a better place. So stop saying that. I meet, everybody I meet that has someone die, they say they're in a better place. It's like, well, the numbers say no because God says there's only a few people that are going to make it. It's a narrow gate and a narrow way, and it's Jesus only. Sorry. So a lot of people aren't in a better place. They're in a lot worse place. And we need to make sure that we're living our faith and sharing our faith with people because they need to know that they need Jesus before they check out of here. And so do we. Amen. Amen. Well, happy Mother's Day. Isn't that awesome? <laughs> yeah, they're killing me with the lights already. Hey, you're done. Get out of here. <laughs> yeah, I love you guys back there. It's okay. <laughs> All right, every week I ask you these accountability questions. Are you spending some time in God's Word? At least five days, five minutes a day in God's Word. If you are, say yes. yes. If you're not, start. You need to know what God is saying to you. It's important. It's the only thing that's going to matter when you stand before Him. That's it. Did you share a God story with someone this week? Did you talk to someone about this amazing God who loves you and loves them? Did you do that? If you did, say yes. yes. Awesome. Did you spend some time alone with him? Yes. Do you know what the Holy Spirit's saying to you? Yes. Are you giving as God has asked you to give and time and talent and resources? Are you all in? Yes. Did you invite someone to church with you this week? Yes. All right, about five, six of you did. Let's go. <laughs> Told them in the first service, like, if you can't invite your friends to your church because maybe you're embarrassed about your church, embarrassed about your pastor, I just want you to know your church is a reflection of you. <laughs> so don't be embarrassed about your church. Just invite someone to be with you. Bribe them. We give them free coffee. It's sitting right over there, and we'll give them a mug and all that stuff. Just bring them on. If, you, if they don't like coffee, it's even better for you. You can bring them and take one for yourself. But you need to bring your friends in. It's uh, not people that go to church. We're not trying to bring people over that worship God and serve Jesus. If they don't teach that in their church, yeah, by all means, get them out of there. But if they go to a church that teaches Jesus, leave them alone. Let God move them if he wants to move them. We don't want to do that. We're, there's, there's a lot of people that need Jesus in this world, and a lot of them live in your house and around your house. Okay. Happy Mother's Day. <clears throat> Next Sunday, we celebrate baptism. If you want to be baptized, I would really like to hear from you. If you were baptized maybe before in your life and, um, you know, you just feel this desire that God's pulling on you, it is proper and biblical to be baptized again. 
I don't think you need to be baptized every time we do a baptism service. That I don't think. But if God's talking to you about being baptized, you need to be. So you be praying about that. Talk to me about it. And the significance about doing it next week is it's Pentecost. It's been 50 days since Easter resurrection celebration. Is that crazy? Seems like forever ago, but it's just 50 days. And Pentecost comes next week. It's an amazing time. We'll, we'll celebrate together. So we'll be doing baptism next week. If you want to be baptized, please talk to me. Um, last few weeks we've been looking at Gideon and I'm still trying to preach that warrior message but God's still not letting me because I like it you know and I want to bring my sword up here because I love my sword it's amazing it's beautiful my wife gave it to me as a gift and it's it's just cool to have a sword you know every guy should have one and if you ladies want one you should have one too uh, I think they're amazing so I really want to do that because of what God's done through that and through that ministry and stuff. But he's not letting me again. So we're just going to not talk about that anymore. Instead, what I'm going to do is we're going to talk about Gideon uh, being the warrior of God that he intended him to be and delivering Israel from the enemies. We read it in Judges chapter 6. We've been talking about it for the last two weeks. God calls Gideon, tells him he's a mighty warrior, says, I'm going to do this through you. And Gideon's question, everything, doubt and everything, says he's nothing. God just slams all those things down and says, I'm doing it. I'm doing it through you. Gideon finally says, okay, does that, tears that altar down at home at night and all that stuff, right? <clears throat> when you read the, the beginning stages of this all the way up to the climactic moment of where God's promise is realized and God gives the victory to Gideon over the Midianites, every step of the way, Gideon is scared. It says so right in the Bible. He's afraid. He's got fear in him. He's like, he's questioning. He's saying, God, is that really you? You really want me to do this? All right. So what we mentioned last Sunday, and I bring into this as we go forward today, is this. Sometimes obedience is scary. I mean, God does ask us to do stuff that makes us nervous. If you're not scared to do something God's asking you, and if you haven't been, you should listen better because God's talking to you about doing something. And when he does, he's going to ask you to do something that's probably going to scare you a little bit because it's a God thing. Amen. And you're not God. Amen. So when God asks you to do something and he's asking you to step out in obedience, it ought to make you a little nervous, but you don't live in fear. Fear is a natural emotion. It's going to come at you, but you don't let it own you because it'll paralyze you. And so in obedience, you step through fear by faith and you act upon what God's asking you to do. Amen. All right. Now then, as Gideon finally does this, his first step of obedience to God and God gives the victory through him. As God said he would, church, as God said he would, God gave the victory. God is good to his word. You can trust him. When you grab a hold of God's promises, know it's real. And it's real for you, it's real for me, and we have to own it. In Judges chapter 8, we go all the way through the victory of Gideon, the defeat of the Midianites, all that's going on. There's that whole story that goes on there. And we come to the end of that encounter, and we're going to pick up right here. Then the Israelites said to Gideon, Be our ruler. You and your son and your grandson will be our rulers, for you have rescued us from Midian. Pretty funny here, isn't it? That uh, here God proves himself that he's delivering them. He had Gideon dwindle down the army till there's only 300 of them so that the, Israel could not claim the victory. God said to Gideon, he's like, there's too many of you. If you go to war and I give you the victory, you're going to think you did it. 
So send them home. Everybody that's scared. You know, there was 32,000 men that assembled. 22,000 of them went home when he said, are you scared? Only 10,000 remained. Now they're going out to fight a battle with 10,000. God says, you still got too many. You guys think too much of yourself. We're going to separate this crowd. Go drink some water. The ones that pick it up and drink it like this, you keep them. And there's 300. When God gave the victory, only 300 men went with Gideon and surrounded this vast army that was too many to count. And all they did is blew a trumpet and held up a lantern and said, the sword of the Lord and Gideon. And the enemy got up and killed itself. They did nothing. And here's Israel. Check this out. Did you hear what they said? You delivered us. Therefore, be our ruler, you and your son and your grandson. We want you to have a legacy of leading us. You did it. It wasn't him. It was God. That's how quickly we get our eyes on human beings instead of God. Look how fast it happens to us. But Gideon replied, I will not rule over you, nor will my son. The Lord will rule over you. Man, that's a great response, isn't it? Church, it's so easy. Please hear me right when I say this because it's happened throughout time. As we watch ministries grow and then the pastor and people have their eyes on that person and then they fall and everything in the ministry just falls apart and people leave the church and they don't go back to church and they're all mad at God. It's like, well, you shouldn't have been looking at the dude in the first place. Come on. It's all about him. And you need to look at the tool God's using. And I said that appropriately. Anybody get that one? All right. And just see the God that's behind who is actually doing it. God spoke through a donkey. He doesn't need much to work with. So stop looking at human beings as the ones that are making the difference in your life. It is God and God alone. He uses humans. What happens a lot of times is with us preachers is because God does something, we think we're spiritual. You're not spiritual if you're not walking with God. I don't care what God does through you. Don't misinterpret the fact that when God blesses somebody through you, you're not the blessing. It's God, so stop owning it. And we look in the Word of God, and they're like, hey, we want you and your kids and your grandkids to rule over us. You're the man. No, he's not. And he knew he wasn't. He knew he was the scared guy hiding in the wine press. I mean, in that wintering thing, like with the, oh, I'm scared. I'm going to have to do this. And, and then God, like, you're a warrior. No, I'm not. I'm nothing. He knew who he was. And the only reason why he had victory was because of God. Amen. All right. So let's just move down. Remember this. The people say, we want you to rule us, your kids, your grandkids. Man, we want a lasting legacy. We're going to follow you. Just skip down a couple of verses here, and this is what it says. As soon as Gideon died, the Israelites prostituted themselves by worshiping the images of Baal, making Baal beareth their God. They forgot the Lord their God, who had rescued them from all their enemies surrounding them, nor did they show any loyalty to the family of Jeroboam, that is Gideon, despite all the good he had done for Israel. You know what they did? They killed all 70 of his sons. If you read the story, how quickly we get jacked up. I mean, in the moment, we're saying, in the emotion of an experience, in the moment of victory, we're like, you, your kids, your grandkids, oh, we want you to reign over us. The next minute, it's like, ah, whack them. That's what they did. How jacked up is that? As soon as it's over with, as soon as Gideon dies, as soon as that leader's gone, they're like, oh, who are we going to worship now? 
and they begin to worship Baal. <laughs> it's amazing as we have referenced this and you watch the history of Israel and their worship of Baal and Asherah, the gods of the Amorites in the land that they lived. This is the first time that Israel pours itself out to this other god. And I say that exactly how it sounds and it's meant. They hoard themselves out to this other god when they knew who God was. And this, this God that they served, this Baal that we're going to talk about for a few minutes just to give you a little bit of history and help us understand things. See, the Israelites continued to worship God even in the times that they worshiped uh, Baal and Asherah. What they did was like so many do. They recognized that God was God, but they added to their worship of God the worship of these other gods. So they had a spiritual experience for themselves that covered not only Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the God of covenant, the creator. And they recognized that he was God, but they also carried Baal and Asherah with them. And so this is how they do it. They recognized, as we look in history, and you can look into the historical writings and, and trace back that Baal worship into that region in them areas. And there are only elements of what we can see in, in actual historical documents and things that find this. And they align perfectly with God's word. Go figure, right? I mean, God's word is God's word. And so God's word doesn't teach Baal worship, but it says what the Israelites were doing in worshiping Baal. And it just aligns perfectly with what we find out there in archaeology and things about Baal worship. Another reason why you should know God's word is truth. Anyway, we'll leave that alone for another day. The Israelites knew that God defeated the Egyptians. They knew that. They knew God was the God of war. They knew that. That he was a victorious, conquering God. Now think about it. Now if you go back to the Exodus account, when God brought the ten plagues on Egypt, God defeated the ten gods of the Egyptians in those plagues. If you go back and study it, you'll find that to be true. Every one of the gods that the Egyptians served, including Pharaoh who they saw, thought was a god, God defeated. And God was showing the people who grew up in a pagan culture who God was. He was teaching them that what they had learned in culture was a lie. I hope that sinks in. Saying all this spirituality that you've been influenced by, all the stuff that's going on around you is wrong and I am God and I am God alone. And he was proving to the Israelites by every plague that he brought in upon the Egyptians, I am God over this, what they call God. I am God over this, what they call God. All ten of them. Until the Egyptians said, get out of here. Everybody knew what happened. God said, not only am I making you a people, but I want the world to know that I am God. And God made a statement that was a global statement in delivering Israel. Now, church... <clears throat> The people of Israel knew that. So they move into the Canaanite land. And the people that were there, God said, get rid of them and don't follow their gods. They didn't get rid of them. The Canaanites lived next door and they began to talk about what they were doing. They were carrying around their pockets little items that were about Baal worship. <clears throat> the Canaanite region was a land of fertility. Great crops and abundance and stuff. But you need rain for that. We know that in the desert, don't we? 
And it was believed by those people that Baal was the ultra, ultra god and that he controlled rain and fertility. And so the people of Canaan called on Baal and there was seasonally, because they believe in this mythology type gods, that there was battles going on in the spiritual world, which there are. But these people believed that Baal was in war with the, the ocean god Yom for the water and that he needed them to worship him and perform acts of sexual activity which they had prostitutes of male and females in the temples for fertility for him to be blessed and strengthened in his ongoing battle with Yom. His two sisters were also at war and they were all trying to war so that Mother Earth and that's who she was called even back then. This isn't a new age thing. It's an old thing. And that the water would come on Mother Earth. Okay. So the Canaanites are saying all this stuff, and the people are there, and they're like, wow, you know what? Um, it's, we need rain. We should probably put this little thing in our pocket and start talking to Baal because it's getting a little dry around here. And Yeah. So they started to follow the Baals. So, <clears throat> what they believed was through their acts of sexuality and through all these things, these perversions. By the way, here's the thing. When anything about the spiritual world revolves around you and your desires, you probably could guarantee it's not from God. So the idea that was behind that spirituality was all about me, perversion, sexuality, all those types of things, what I want, what I need, meet my needs and all that, you know, self, that's sin, that's where it comes from, just in case you're wondering. So when you're looking at that and you're seeing like it feeds the natural tendencies of unchecked human desire. And so they would naturally gravitate towards this. It's like easy, I already want to do this, so hey, let's go do it. And in so doing, I'm performing a worship. I still know that God is God and he's going to fight for us. But I also know that I need to make sure that everything is good. We need kids. We need crops. Everything's good. Let's just go. Okay. So <clears throat> here's what we want to do now. We're going to look at two places in, in Israel's history. We're going to go back in history from this point in which we're talking about. And then we're going to go forward in history from this point. Okay. We're going to go to two places. And as we go back in history, what we're going to do is just before the people of, of Israel come into the promised land, after 40 years of wandering in the wilderness because they didn't trust God, don't, please, I mean, you've got to put all this together. This is the amazing beauty of God's word. Children of Israel wandering in the wilderness because they didn't believe God and didn't do what he said, punished for their sin, that whole generation dies in the wilderness. Moses calls the generation together and says, hey, you know why we were doing this 40 years of nothingness? Because of the sin of your fathers, not believing God. Therefore, I'm going to share with you God's word again. It's called the book of Deuteronomy, second law, the second giving of the law. And Moses tells them what God demands of them just before he hands the leadership over to Joshua and they step into the promised land. So here's Joshua. He's up there preaching to him. I mean, Moses and Moses says this to them there are, these are the commands decrees and the regulations that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you 
You must obey them in the land you are about to enter and occupy, and you and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Okay, think about this. You, your children, and your grandchildren. There should be the spiritual connection in your legacy where you are teaching them the things of God on a regular basis. This needs to be handed on from one generation to another to another. It needs to be something you make sure they got a hold of. Well, my kids don't like church. Tough. Do you care about their soul at all? What about your grandkids? Yeah, but they're not ha tough. You send them to school. Do they like English and algebra? You know, it's nuts, man. We're like, oh, I want them to have a great education, but like, well, I want them to make a choice on if they serve God or not. You must obey them in the land you're about to enter and occupy. I could go off on that, so I just started reading God's word again. You and your children and your grandchildren must fear the Lord your God as long as you live. If you obey all his decrees and commands, you will enjoy a long life. Guess what? God says, I'm going to work for you if you serve me. I'm going to take care of you. I'm going to do stuff for you. We're talking about God here. Okay. If you obey all the decrees and commands, you'll enjoy a long life. Listen closely, Israel. Be careful to obey. Then all will go well with you. And you will have many children in the land flowing with milk and honey, just as the Lord, the God of your ancestors, promised you. Did you just catch what was just said? Mm, you're going to have many children. Oh, God's the God of fertility. Do what I say, and you'll have many children. Not only that, you're going to have abundant harvest. God said that. Just like I promised, God is good to his word. He said, look, I'm going to take care of you when you follow me. Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. You must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you today. Repeat them again and again to your children. When's the last time you had a conversation with your kids about God? When's the last time you told them what God's doing in your life, what God has done in your life, what you know about this God you say you serve? When's the last time you had a conversation with your kids and your grandkids telling them about this amazing Savior? Come on, man. I mean, it's right here in the Word of God. He says, repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road and when you're going to bed and when you're getting up. You get the idea? He's saying, hey, God should be like all the time in your life. Not preaching them down, talking about God. <laughs> Tie them to your hands. Wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. The Lord your God will soon bring you into the land he swore to give you. When he made a vow to your ancestors, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, it is a land with large, prosperous cities that you did not build. The houses will be richly stocked with goods you did not produce. You will draw water from cisterns you did not dig. And you will eat from vineyards and olive trees you did not plant. Man, God is the God of provision, man. God's the one that's provided everything we have. It's not you. Get over yourself. 
He's like, man, I'm going to do this for you. I, God, am going to do this for you. And when you have eaten your fill in this land, be careful not to forget the Lord who rescued you from slavery in the land of Egypt. It's like, amen. Stay with it. Stay focused. When you take an oath, you must use only his name. You must not worship any of the gods of the neighboring nations, for the Lord your God who lives among you is a jealous God. His anger will flare up against you, and he will wipe you from the face of the earth. Wow, God's pretty serious about this, isn't it? He's like, hey, you're going to worship me, and if you don't, forget you. That's what he told them. So here they are about to enter the land, take it over. God reminds them, like, hey, better listen. It's God and God alone. It's God and God alone. It is he and he alone that you'll worship. You got to teach your kids, your grandkids. Everyone needs to know this. This has to be a part of your daily life. And remember, everything you have, your houses, your land, your crops, they're all God, things God gave you. So they enter into the land. And I read to you just a few weeks ago this statement in Judges chapter 2. It's one generation in the land. One generation. After that generation died, another generation grew up who did not acknowledge the Lord or remember the mighty things he had done. Is that crazy? He's, he's talking to us. He's talking to them. Like, man, come on. Listen, guys. We got to get where we need to be right now, right? After that generation died, one generation and they forgot. One generation. So all the way through, it's like up and down, up and down. This is what they do. This is what they do. And I want you to know, church, the same thing that God was trying to tell them. God is God alone. He will not accept God and anything. Let's move forward in history now. We're going to go all the way up to a point in history where this king, Ahab, and his wife Jezebel are reigning in God's land. And they, at this point in time, are all in on Baal and Asherah. 1 Kings chapter 17. This is the amazing God we serve, man. He's, he's so awesome. Elijah, who was from Tishbib Gilead, told King Ahab, as surely as the Lord, the God of Israel lives, the God I serve, there will be no dew or rain during the next few years until I give you the word. So where does God go? Yeah, you think you serve the God of rain? You think you know what you're doing? Guess what? I'm cutting you off. I think it's awesome. Unless he does it to you. God does this, you know. He comes right where we are, right where we're screwing up, right where we're not putting him where he belongs. And he says, you know what? You think you know so much? You think you've got this? Here you go. Like I said a few weeks ago, and I keep saying this, like sometimes we give the devil way too much credit. All right? God is the one that's at the move here, and God's the one that brings challenges into our life, oftentimes, especially people who say they serve God, because God's saying, if you serve me, then serve me, and if you don't, I'm coming against you. It's God's word, man. Deal with it. God wants obedience. God wants us to understand that it is God and God alone. 
He will not accept being God and anything. So Elijah goes right to the heart of the issue. You think you serve the God of rain? Guess what? I serve the living God. And he says, you're getting cut off until I say so. Three and a half years, no dew, no rain on the land. You want to talk about a drought? You want to talk about problems? There's disease and illness and sickness going on. You know how our desert looks? We get rain every year. They had none for three and a half years. None. God cut them off. Ahab is searching everywhere. He's sending scouts to all the foreign nations around him and saying, if you have this prophet Elijah, you better give him to me because I want him. And they couldn't find him because God hid him. (laughs) Finally, God says, all right, Elijah, go face him. Go. So he does. First Kings 17, verse 16. So Obadiah went to tell Ahab and Elijah had come. And Ahab went out to meet Elijah. When Ahab saw him, he exclaimed, So is it really you, you troublemaker of Israel? I have made no trouble for Israel, Elijah replied. You and your family are the troublemakers, for you have refused to obey the commands of the Lord and have worshipped the images of Baal instead. He's calling them right out, man. Straight up in your face, flat out. You're the one that says you serve Baal. I'm telling you it's God and you are the problem and it is you that is the problem. (laughs) Now summon all Israel to join me on Mount Carmel. This is an invitation from God. Along with the 450 prophets of Baal and 400 prophets of Asher who are supported by Jezebel, she's the queen, so Ahab summoned all the people of Israel and the prophets to Mount Carmel. Then Elijah stood in front of them and said, How much longer will you waver hobbling between two opinions? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. The people were completely silent. Then Elijah said to them, I am the only prophet of the Lord who is left. But Baal has 450 prophets. Now bring two bulls. The prophets of Baal may choose whichever one they wish, cut it into pieces, lay it on the wood of the altar, but without setting any fire to it. I will prepare the other bowl and lay it on the wood on the altar, but not set fire to it. Then call in the name of your God, and I will call in the name of the Lord. The God who answers by setting fire to the wood is the true God. And all the people agreed. This should be no problem for Baal, right? He's the God of rain and lightning and all that stuff. It should be no problem for him to zap that thing with lightning and get it burning. Okay. So, Elijah says to the prophets of Baal, you go first. There's many of you. Choose one of the bowls and prepare it and call in the name of your God, but do not set fire to the wood. So they did prepare one of the bowls and placed it on the altar. And they called in the name of Baal from morning until noontime, shouting, O Baal, answer us. There was no reply of any kind. Then they danced, hobbling around the altar they made. About noontime, Elijah began to mock them. You'll have to shout louder, he scoffed, for surely he is a god. Perhaps he's daydreaming or is relieving himself. <laughs> Maybe he's away on a trip or is asleep or needs to be wake, wakened and wake him up. So they shouted louder. And following their normal custom, they cut themselves with knives and swords until the blood gushed out. They raved all afternoon till the time of the evening sacrifice. 
But still there was no sound, no reply, and no response. I love that. But Elijah called to the people, come over here. They all crowded around him as he repaired the altar the Lord had been torn down. Think about it. The altar the Lord had been torn down. He says, come here. And he starts to rebuild the altar to the one true God. Took 12 stones. One to represent each of the tribes of Israel. And he used the stones to rebuild the altar in the name of the Lord. Then he dug a trench around the altar large enough to hold about three gallons. He piled wood on the altar, cut the bull into pieces, laid the pieces on the wood. Then he said, fill four large jars with water and pour it over the offering and the wood. After they'd done this, he said, do the same thing again. And when they were finished, he said, now do it a third time. So they did as he said. And the water ran around the altar and even filled the trench. At the usual time for the offering of the evening sacrifice, Elijah the prophet walked up to the altar and he prayed. Church, before I read the prayer, I just want you to get the simplicity of talking to God. The Baal worshipers, they were dancing, running, jumping, shouting, cutting themselves, carrying on. The prophet of God just walks up to the altar and he just has a conversation. That's what prayer is. Don't let it intimidate you. Just talk to God. And check out this little prayer, he says. Oh, Lord, God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Prove today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. Prove that I have done all this at your command. Oh, Lord, answer me and answer me so these people will know that you, oh, Lord, are God and that you have brought them back to yourself. Immediately, the fire of the Lord flashed down from heaven, burned up the bull, burned up the wood, burned up the rocks, sucked up the water. It's like, hey, hello, here I am. Yes, I am the God of all things. I am God alone. When all the people saw it, they fell on their face to the ground. And they cried out, the Lord, he is God. Yes, the Lord, he is God. There was no doubt about it. There were no more games. You remember what Elijah said to him? How long are you gonna play this game? How long are you going to keep altering back and more? Oh, God's God, Baal and Asherah. You... Hey, he's all yours, and he is the only one. You're all in on this. God once again proving to the people that he is God alone. We look back in history, and we see how he defeated all the gods of the Egyptians. We see how when Joshua led the people in, he destroyed the people of the land who were worshiping Asherah and Baal. God's saying, I am God. If you do what I say, I'll bless you. If you don't, I'm not going to. Here they are in the midst of this thing. And God says, look, I'm trying to show you something. Would you wake up? I am God alone. Amen. I want you to know, church, <clears throat> the gods of this world, and there are many, they are not God, but the gods of this world are real, and they are demonic, and they are spiritual, and they are lies. Jesus showed us in the word as he did the ministry and you read about his story in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as he went through this place that there was real spiritual battle that happened and he was the authority over those demonic spirits. And those demonic spirits are the ones who promote lying faiths to take us away from the worship of the one true God. 
That's why our culture is all into spirituality because spirituality is real. It is, but it's not God. And God says, I will have none of this. You will not serve God and anyone and anything. Nothing. Church, he says, I am a jealous God. It is me and me alone. He's God. He makes the rules. Deal with it. It's all about him. See, the spirits are attempting to take away the worship of the one true God, Yahweh, the God of the Bible, the creator of all things, the one who redeemed us and came as one of us and died on the cross of Calvary in the name of Jesus, that God. It is that God, that same God, who said that he would give to us his own spirit, we call the Holy Spirit, that he might live within us and we might have the life, that power to live the Christian life, to do the things of God. This is the God we're talking about, the God who gave his life for us. This is not a game. This is not a religious thing. This is not spirituality. It's God and God alone, and he is calling us, church, to something that is really, really critical. He is saying, I'm not here to play games with you. We're not here to do church. You need to worship me and serve me. I have got to be God and God alone. And as I prayed for today, and I was asking God, what is it you want to do today? And I had no idea we were going to go back here. And God keeps bringing us back to this one thing. And I don't understand it, but God does, and I know you do. God is coming to the point where he is saying, you need to go home and remove the idols from your house. That's three weeks in a row I said that. And God is calling us, church, to stop playing games. It's not God and anything. Get the garbage out of your life. Be, put God there first. Do you remember what he said? Go home. Talk about me there. Live with me. Wake up with me. Walk with me. Talk to your kids, your grandkids. It's all about me. There's nothing more important in life than understanding who God is. Nothing. We've got to do it. It's not good enough to... I don't mean this wrong when you clap. I appreciate that. Because it's truth, God's truth. Church, it's got to go past that moment. It's got to go home with us. There's got to be obedience there. So what is God calling us to? This simple truth that he continuously called his people to along. This is the same message that was happening all the way back there when he instituted the law through Moses. It's the same, same message. It's me and me alone that you are to worship. All your heart, soul, mind, and strength, all in, everything. It's the same message. It's not changed because it's the same God. <laughs> See, what God's calling us to is the worship of God alone. I don't understand all there is to this. I, I, I want you to know that. I confess that to you. I don't understand why we've done this three weeks in a row. It's not the exact same message, but the same point. I don't know, but God does. I'm not going to sit here and try and interpret what it is that you need to get rid of in your life. I don't need to. The Holy Spirit is faithful. I trust him. He's been talking to you. You know if God is the God of your home. Do you remember when we read John 14, when Jesus was talking? He said, I and the Father are one. We will come and live with you in your home. <laughs> wow. I, I'm just thinking that maybe what God's trying to do here is saying, like, um, let's go past Sunday morning church, and let's start worshiping God all the time. Let's start worshiping him in our home, in our job, talking to our kids and people about me. 
It's a natural thing if it's a part of your life. If you serve God, it should be a natural thing for people to know that you serve the living God. <laughs> All right, we're on our action steps. Aren't you glad? Yeah, praise God. Get on to Mother's Day dinner. All right, ready? What is it that you continuously turn to in seeking help to make it through your day and through your week? What is it? What is it that God is calling you to remove from your life? All right, before I go on to that, I'm just going to have to go back to that first one for a second. Like, just think about it. I don't care what it is. I'm not even going to mention stuff. I'm just saying, like, as we go through our day, is there this dependency on God that you have, that you see? If there's not, there needs to be. That needs to develop. What is God calling you to remove from your life? Will you this day declare the Lord, he is God? And when we declare the Lord, he is God, what we're doing is not just saying it, but recognizing who he is. And we're not going to uh, play games anymore. It's not going to be this, oh yeah, I believe, but. I believe and. Uh-uh. No more of that. Today, church, all that hear the voice that I am speaking right now with in the message of God's word is he calls us, church, the Lord, He is God. And God wants you to declare that over every area of your life. Over every area of your life. Okay. Would you stand with me? Man, what an amazing Mother's Day message. Thank you, Jesus. <laughs> God's good, isn't He? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for your faithfulness to us. Thank you for your truth. Oh, Lord, we want to just be faithful to you right now. Holy Spirit, we trust you. The Spirit of God is moving through this congregation. The Lord has been in the whole service. He's here right now. He's talking to us. You know the stuff that you need to lay down. Whatever it is you've been relying on besides God or with God or and God, you know what it is. Why don't you bring it and dump it on the altar today, would you right now? Just leave it right here. Say, the Lord, he is God. And he alone is who I will follow. Want to do that? Altar's open. Come and dump it off. Not a long process. Just come on forward, man. Give it to him. Just give it to him. Here it is, God. There it is. All that I've been dependent on besides you, with you and you, whatever it is, there it is. Just give it to him.